Well, last week I did a teaching on agape and phileo love. Uh, who has heard that yet? A few, a few of you have? Well, a little blush you if you haven't. Anyway, so, um, so I guess I'm, I'm in a, a, a kind of feeling the, the love moment here. So I want to do a follow-up this week, sort of, on this love theme and present you a message on 10 ways to love others. So let's pray. Father God, help us to be uh, the lovers, Father, you want us to be of men's souls. That, Lord God, we would uh, be a representative, Father, of your Spirit, pouring out the love, Father God, you've shown us to others that we come in contact with. Help us, Father, to be guided by your Spirit in these days ahead, to be uh, men and women that are known for our love. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, praise God. Although Father God has already put in us a new nature of love, we still don't love that easily. Uh, all our lives, we're supposed to be dying to self and killing selfishness in us. Uh, but when it comes to loving others, that's usually not our first choice. Our first choice is love me first. And uh, that's not what we're supposed to do. So we need to be reminded every now and then that we need to love others. So tonight here, it's simply a reminder for you and for me that we are to be lovers of men and women's souls. Uh, this message did not originate with me. I don't quite remember where it came from, but it's worth sharing with the body of Christ. Um, these are just some very practical ways in which we can show the love of Christ uh, that's been shed in our hearts. Uh, from behaviors uh, that will be a blessing that when we come in contact with others. Because love is seen uh, and experienced through our behavior, not in the well-meaning intentions of our hearts. People can't read those, but they can surely read our behavior and how we treat them. So it's always good to look for practical ways that we could love others. Uh, this is not to pick up a set of works, that's not the point here, but to cause us to think in ways we may not have normally thought when it comes to showing love towards other people. Perhaps some of these 10 ways are not ways that you would have thought of or I would have thought of, uh, but we still need to be reminded of them. So um, I hope they can help you. Um, when we look at practical ways to love, I must have failed at all of these <laughs> at one point or another. <clears throat> and maybe still do. So I have to have a better love walk for myself. I'm sure others are in the same boat I'm in. So how about we go to those 10 ways now to love others. <clears throat> First one is listening without interrupting. Isn't that a strange statement? <laughs> listening without interrupting. That's loving them? Yeah. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 3. One who gives an answer before he hears it is foolishness and shame to him. Uh-oh, I have failed here many, many times. A lot of us, maybe like me, we're listening to people. Uh, we're thinking already in our heads how we're going to respond while the person's still speaking. That is not showing love to them. That is not listening. Uh, that is not acting in a way that uh, would show love to someone. When we listen without interrupting, we're showing love to the other person by giving them respect. We're telling them they're important, that they're worth listening to. Uh, another way also here we're looking at, um, a way to lovingly listen to a person is to be respectful. Give them eye contact. Give them a compassionate ear that what they're presenting to us. 
that we show them we care. You know, showing respect to people is certainly would please the Lord, obviously. So this is easy to understand. It's not hard. Yet it's so difficult, right, for so many of us to practice. Uh, when I think I'm more important, I tend to listen less. And uh, I must become, become less, have less of an opinion of myself, so that I would listen in a loving manner. Everybody got that one? That's pretty easy. Just listening to someone and showing you care when you listen is showing you you love them. Because it's surprising how many people get none of that from anyone. That's what sometimes marks a believer when they show love to someone enough that I care about you. I care about what you say. It's important. Okay, let's go to the second one here. Speak without accusing. How's about that one, huh? Speak without accusing. We get James here, chapter 1, verse 19. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Not ever, not, now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know, none of us want to be accused of doing something we didn't do. Ah, it's common sense. Uh, some people just repeat an accusation without first checking the facts to see if it's correct. And then we assume the worst about someone and we act in an unloving manner towards them. Rather, we should be uh, asking with respectful questions and not beginning a conversation with an accusation. Uh, instead of, listen here, John, I heard so-and-so tell me that you've been talking about me behind my back. Is this true? That's not a way to talk to somebody. That's an accusation. Rather, I heard from someone that they said blah, blah, blah. Is that possibly true? We asked looking for information. I believe the best of everyone. We're supposed to be believing the best of everyone. We should. We should always be in the belief, well, this possibly can't be true because John wouldn't do that. Rather, we just accept everything we hear that people tell us, and we get ourselves in trouble here. Um, it's very important that we be a people that don't run with accusations and attack people accusing when we haven't even found out if it's even true. And that, of course, destroys the conversation immediately, right? When you start with an accusation. Uh, the evil one likes to bring discord among the brethren. Uh, I have uh, certainly had uh, things said to me by others that was misunderstood by them or gossip they heard, and I make it a point not to run what an accusation I hear, but rather verify it. Uh, so, so this is also a very important area when people are married. Too many people uh, that are married, their spouses, they accuse them right and left without ever, ever asking if something's true, right? I, I think I got accused one time. Uh, my wife walked in the house and said, uh, something about I never cleaned the room or something. She walked in, oh, it's cleaned. Why didn't you look first? Now, I was not offended, but why didn't you look first? You would have saw it was done already. So, hey, you know, and don't we treat our children sometimes the same way? We need to be treating them with respect. Uh, when we do that, we're teaching them value. We're teaching them how to treat others, right? You know, remember, your, your children are learning life by watching you. They're watching how you behave. They watch you when the pressure's on, how you handle that, and they're, they're learning from you. Uh, so it's very important that uh, we do not be a people that run with accusations, but rather believe the best of someone ever before we hear of something. That's an easy one. How about number three here? Answer without arguing. That's loving someone. When we answer without arguing. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining or arguments. If we respond to people only to prove that we're right, then we are not loving their souls. I don't need to be proved right. Rather, I do need the Word of God to always be shown correct. I remember one time, uh, who here might remember Phil Genta? Okay. Okay, a few people. Phil was one of our elders here many years ago. He went home to be with the Lord in the late 1990s. Uh, Phil was one of the best one-on-one evangelists I've ever known. He was just extremely good at what he did. And uh, one of his points when uh, sharing the gospel was never to argue with people. Because you could probably win your argument, but you just lost that soul. And he used to say, win an argument, lose a soul. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Never forgot that from Phil. But too many people do the exact same thing. They want to be seen in the right. And that's never my goal. It should be, I want right to come forth. Not for me to be in the right. And you know, again, looking to marriages, how many people when they're married, uh, are we looking out for our spouse's best interest? What's in their best interest? Or do we have to be proven right? So I always liked Phil's statement, win an argument, lose a soul, when applying to marriage counseling, win an argument, lose a marriage. It's not worth it. We should be rather looking out for our spouse's best interest long before we look out for, I have to be right. Uh, that's, that's, that, that goes nowhere. So we want to always remember that we, when answering people, we don't answer what an argument or because we have to be proven right. Rather, how can I love this person by showing them that I'm not attacking them with argumentation? Easy to understand, right? All right, number four here. Give without sparing. That's Proverbs chapter 21, verse 26. When the righteous gives, he does not hold back. In other words, when we give, don't be cheap. By giving your best, the best that you can give is what matters. Or um, when we give to others, would Jesus smile on my giving? If the answer is yes, then you did just fine. But if you were trying to get the better end of the deal, I don't think so. Now remember, it's not the size of the gift that matters, but the love that we do in presenting it. You can do for folks in a way that shows them love, or you can do it sparingly where they're just not important. Uh, Whenever we give something to someone, we're demonstrating love. So how would I like to be loved? That is our own answer and how we would treat others. Uh, For example, my wife, anything Rosemary and I would give to others, Rosemary has to always make it look perfect. So she likes to give gift baskets sometimes. If it was me, I said, just throw them in a box and put them some wrapping paper on a ribbon. No! It has to be in a basket. It has to look perfect. It has to, this is costing me a lot more than I wanted to do. No, I can't give a gift like that. Okay, fine. So she got this. I was the one being cheap. She got this. And so I learned from her, uh, she has to give something in a way that it looks outstanding. Whatever the gift is, it doesn't have to be an expensive gift, but that it's outstanding when it's presented. Why? That's giving without sparing. You're making sure this person knows you're important because I made this for you. And you are a person of value, and I want to show you you're a person of value. So, in fact, some of the gift baskets she's made, people have taken pictures of. (laughs) Send them online. Uh, Praise God. Yeah, but that's important, though, that when we give to others, we want to give without sparing to make sure I've done my very best to show them my love. And that's a personal thing between you and God. 
Nobody can tell you where that is or where that lands. All right, number five here is sharing without pretending. Sharing without pretending. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects in him who is the head, that is Christ. Wow, speaking the truth in love. So many people do not want to say things in fear of offending other people. So what you're becoming is a pretender instead of one that speaks truth. But if we speak the truth in love, truly then we are motivated by love, and then we win many to Christ by the love of the Lord. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself am also convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Admonishing one another is speaking the truth in love. Uh, admonishment here in the New Testament Greek has two separate meanings. It, one is to warn people as well as instruct them. It has two separate meanings. So to warn someone is in regards to um, things they may have done that were wrong, and you want to warn them of what could happen if their lives don't change. And you want to, then the instructing part is to give them some positive truth you would like to impart to them that will help advance this person. Both of these are showing love to someone. If we fail to warn, we're not loving these people. If we fail to instruct, we're not loving them either. So we should always be uh, there to present something, some positive truth into people's lives so that um, when we see something lacking in them, we want to help them advance themselves. I remember one time years ago, we, uh, well, it happens a lot of times, but we had this particular uh, building we were in where the chairs had to be uh, set up, broken down, set up, broken down. That's a real hassle every week, set up, breaking down, especially when there's hundreds of them. Well, anytime you have, um, okay, we're going to put the chairs away, you always get those few that just stand around and they don't touch the chairs. Now, if there's something physically wrong, I get it. Some people just can't do that. But some, you know, they can. So, uh, you know, walking up to them in a loving way to encourage them to help with the chairs is what matters. At that time, we had this one deacon who would walk up to people. He knew they were able to, but they didn't want to help. Uh, they just want to watch everybody else help. And they, he would say, real nice, wow, we would really be blessed if you lend us a hand. I think we would do this much better. Oh, well, sure. Thanks for asking. And he would get people, he did it in a loving way to get them to help him. Just going to stand there? That's not how you talk to people. We would do much better if you helped us because we, we, we can fellowship as we do this together. People couldn't put away chairs fast enough. And uh, so the point there is, uh, that's loving a person without pretending. He sh something should be said, but you can say it in a way that honors the person and that shows that you genuinely have a love for their soul. Isn't that the point? We want to see laziness driven out of people and see industry put in them. That's a godly thing. Uh, the warning part is interesting. Um, we want to warn people because we have a love for their souls. Now, we've got to be careful here. <clears throat> we don't want to be the church's correction committee uh, and, and be obnoxious. So a lot of people try to do that. But we want to love people to the point where we correct them uh, to advance their lives and uh, help them overcome whatever areas uh, they were having problems with. So whenever we warn, we do this with great humility, great compassion, great, sincere, great sincerity, and so that our warnings 
are welcomed. Classic story I heard once, true story. Uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin told a story one time um, that this is probably prior to 1920. But there was this particular man, he was a believer, obviously, some kind of church leader, and uh, they happened to be on the street, wherever this town was, and they noticed him leaving an obvious house of prostitution. And they kind of looked at each other and went, that's not good. You're telling me you're a believer and you're going there? So they very lovingly walked up to him and said, oh, brother, this shouldn't be. And, and they were so lovingly uh, telling him this is not a kind of a life a believer should leave. The guy totally received it and never went back again. And that guy ended up founding one of the largest Pentecostal denominations in the world. Wow. Wow. If they had not approached him in love, but they could have looked the other way. I didn't see that. I don't want to know. None of my business. I don't judge. They didn't do that. They said, okay, this is clearly wrong what we saw. We have to show love to this man to help him. And they didn't, you know, they weren't holding Bibles in their hands and banging their Bible in their hand while they're talking to him. They were just lovingly, I'm sure they had tears in their eyes telling them how important he is. This is not a life that you should be living. You're a better man than this. And he totally received it and never went back. And the guy ended up being used greatly of the Lord. If, in other words, the love they shared was a warning without pretending. And that's what we ought to do. We are to admonish one another in the Lord. And gosh, you know, if I'm wrong, if I'm doing something wrong, I want to hear it because I want to get better. Amen? Now, one of the important prayers we can pray for ourselves is, Lord, help me in what I'm not getting right. Help me in what I'm not seeing correctly. Because we all have blind spots in our lives. And if others can point that out to us, I receive it with joy. Thank you. You just advanced my life. Thank you for loving me enough to say something. Amen? So, uh, yeah, we need to love without pretending. And if we truly love the brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to help them along, not chastise them and beat them up, but love them along uh, as with great tenderness when we talk to people. Everybody got that one? That's an easy one, right? But a really important one. Because I think, I think most of the body of Christ fails in this area. There's always those that love to correct everybody. We don't need that. And then there's those that know better and won't say anything. And that's not showing love. Okay, let's go to number six here. Enjoy without complaining. Ooh. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining or arguing. Arguments. Um, so, people, whenever they give a compliment, sometimes it's always laced with a complaint or a criticism. That's not good. That's not love. Come on, how many of us have had parents, nobody raise your hands, that when you brought a B home on a report card, they look at you and go, well, that's not an A. That crushes kids. Rather, can't we celebrate the B and encourage the A? Right? We can enjoy our child's accomplishments without complaining. This is a very common thing people do. Or when somebody does something, it's just not quite enough. You have to do a little bit more. That's not right. We should be always complimenting one another, especially our own families, our, our spouses, our children, complimenting them to encourage them to see more. But it could be this or it could be better should never be from our, our, our lips. We should be enjoying one another's accomplishments without criticism. Um, when we do that, our, our, when we uh, compliment our spouse's accomplishments, um, 
we're, we're, we're helping them, we're helping our own marriages. See, my wife strongly believes in the scripture from Proverbs, wives, raise your husbands in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. But honestly, ladies, I'll give you a big hint for marriage. Men think they gave you this much. I'm sorry, I get that wrong. Men think they gave you this much when they actually gave you that much. And too many women, well, that's not enough. I want this or that. That's a mistake. You raise them like you have children. You praise them for the little they gave you. And then they'll give you this much. You praise them again, and then they'll give you this much. You encourage them and encourage them. Well, what do you want from me? I did all I can do. I can't do anymore. Rather encourage them, and when you do, you get more. Little hint there. The men aren't in the room, so don't worry about it. Just to tell the ladies, okay? You want to encourage your husbands because, again, so many people in life receive so little encouragement. Uh, so little encouragement. They, people can't enjoy their accomplishments without complaining about something. And hey, that doesn't belong in our homes. Rather, in our homes should be our, our haven, our, our place of peace, our place of refuge, where we're encouraging one another in Christ. And that just produces better marriages, better families, better future for our children. Amen? All right, number seven here. Trust without wavering. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. It's talking about love, agape love. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Uh, very important here regarding trust. Um, I went to a business seminar one time the church sent me to. It was back in the 1980s. It was a secular conference, but it was good. It was a management conference. And I remember something the speaker said I never forgot. He said, we give everyone trust until they break it. Then they have to earn it back. And that's a normal thing. We should give everyone our trust. And that's pretty correct. Not, well, I won't trust you unless you earn my trust. That is not showing love to folks. Believers don't act like this. Um, we need to trust everyone until that trust could be broken. Then we help them build our confidence in them back. Uh, showing people that you trust them uh, and uh, is doing the right thing for them, even when they make a mistake. Gosh, who is not going to make a mistake? But when mistakes come, how do we handle it? We encourage them and foster new trust. I'll give you two quick stories. Um, anybody ever heard the IBM story? This is old. This is, I don't know if this is from the 70s or 60s. Each IBM is a separate corporation, but I don't know which IBM this was, but a lot of uh, corporations have the open door policy, which means if the executive is in his office and the door is open, you can just walk in. I don't care if you're the janitor, you can just walk in. But if the door is closed, you can't walk in, they're busy. So this particular IBM had the open door policy, anybody could walk in, okay. There was this guy that uh, was a manager in the shipping area of, of the company, and he sent something massive to the wrong place and it was a $10,000 error. And uh, he was heartbroken. I mean, he just cost his own company a massive amount of money for a massive mistake that could have been avoided. So he thinks twice and he thinks about it and he goes, okay. So he finds out if the, the executive at that, who ran that IBM had his door open, did, he walked in, he said, oh, hi there, John. I uh, want to give you something. What? And he hands a piece of paper. What's this? 
picks it up. It's a resignation letter. The executive drops it. What is this? You're resigning? Come on, don't make this worse. Yes, I am. I did a horrible thing, cost this company a lot of money. John, I thought we spent $10,000 so you would never do that again. And the guy was shocked. The truth is, that's your best employee now. He will never, ever make that mistake again. You just were assured that something like that will never, ever happen again. He is the right man for the job. And by that, the man felt trust put back in him, and obviously he did a remarkable job for his company. Anybody ever hear that story? It's a very old story. No? Maybe because I'm old. I don't know. Here's one you haven't heard, unless you heard Walter Healy many, many years ago. I, I think this is Exxon. This is the Exxon story. This is a true story here from Tom's River. There was a guy here who was an accountant, and um, I th I'm pretty sure it was for Exxon. I don't know if this is in the 60s or the early 70s. We'll call him John again. And um, he was stealing money from the company, big time, a lot of money. It was in the thousands probably in excess of $10,000 over a series of years. He got saved. John got saved. He became a Christian. And I guess that's how they met him. And uh, John was like, um, he really bothered him about how much money he stole from, 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 from Exxon. Exxon never noticed it. And he really struggled over this. This true, true story. Guy here in Thomas River. Really struggled over it. Over, over, over it. And finally said to his wife, I'm going to turn myself in. And she said, I don't think that's a good idea. They don't know it's gone. They probably never will. I don't know, dear. I, I just, no, this isn't right. I can't pay it back. We used it. Um, I'm going to turn myself in. No, I really don't think you should do this. Anyway, one morning he gets up, he kisses his wife and says, I don't know if I'll be home today. I'll probably be in jail by the end of the day no, I don't think you should do this. And so, so he goes to the, uh, I don't know what executive it was at Exxon. It might have been the open door policy. I don't know. But he goes in there and explains everything. Uh, he said, I want you to know I have very recently received Christ as my Savior. And he explained what that all that meant. I don't really think they want to hear that. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I want to tell you I've been doing something really wrong here. I've been stealing money every year through the accounting department from Exxon. Really? How much did you take? I forgot what the number was. It was in excess of $10,000. He said, I can't pay you back. The money's gone. It's all spent. I'm really sorry. So I'm here to turn myself in. Wow. Could you wait right there? So the guy leaves the office. He's thinking, all right, they're calling the police. And the police come here. I'm going to be arrested. He comes back in. I was just talking to a couple of other executives. You know, we think you, we should change your job. What? We want you to leave accounting. We want you to work in security. What? We have no idea how you did this. We never missed the money. It's impossible, but yet you did it. We want to know what you did so we can prevent this from happening in other Exxons across the country. He gets this massive promotion, increase in pay, and all because he told the truth. They were putting trust back into this guy. Trust restored after he broke it so bad. Obviously, I don't know what he said to his wife when he came home, uh, but, you know, 
she must have been shocked. And somehow some Christian leaders in the area found out about the story, and that's why we, we know it. Uh, instead of having the police come, they promote the guy because they would have had no clue ever unless he told them how this was done. Now security wants to know, what did you do so that we can know how to prevent this in the future? So hey, when trust is restored, you got a valuable person there. So my point is love, loving someone when they've made a mistake, our first reaction should not be punch them in the throat. Our first reaction should be, how can I restore my trust back in this person and help them? to be a better person. What can I do now? That should be the wheels turning. What can I do now to restore trust back into this person? That would honor the Lord. Amen? How about Peter? My gosh, he denies Jesus three times. I think any other Jesus would have said, forget this guy. No, Peter, he gives Peter a chance three times to, to, to uh, profess his love for him. Wow! Jesus was restoring Peter. That was the purpose. Um, so praise God. All right. As we tell more about that, we're not going to do that though. Uh, number eight here. Promise without forgetting. How do we love someone? Promise without forgetting. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It's very important to never promise what you cannot deliver or will not deliver. You hurt people when you do that. I remember we had someone here many, many years ago who was working with our, our, our youth ministry. I think it was youth. It could be children's ministry. I think it was youth. And they were promising the, these particular kids they were going to take them somewhere with the church. And the kids were waiting uh, at the window for them to pick them up. They never came. All day long, these kids were at the window waiting for them to come to pick them up for the event, and they never came. That is crushing to people. I know it wasn't done intentionally. Of course not. But boy, that is an incredibly unloving thing to do. It's better not to make a promise rather than do one that won't be honored. It's better never to promise the sky when you know you can't do it and just give them disappointment. This is especially true with children. What do all children do? First of all, they all go to law school. So by the time they're 14, they're all experts in law, every one of them. But it starts when they're real little and their favorite legal expression is, but you promised, but you promised. They're all experts in that. And so many people as adults have trouble believing their spouses because of uh, the broken promises they experienced in childhood. How about that? Uh, further, people have difficulty trusting Father God because of the wounds of broken promises they got from their earthly fathers while they were growing up. It's a very common scenario, and it's so, so sad. Um, so keeping our word with other people when we say something honors the Lord and definitely shows love to this person. It's a comfort to know that we have Father God who promises and delivers on them all. Amen. He's my model. So if uh, loving the other person, uh, we can um, be trusted to do what we said, it means everything. So just keep that in mind in loving people. Your word really does mean something. If you don't think you can do it, tell them, I don't know if I can do this. Don't promise what you can't deliver. People just get hurt. Um, okay, number nine here. 
Forgiving without punishing. Ooh, that's a biggie. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you must do also. That's very simple. Did the Lord forgive me? Did the Lord forgive us? Of course. When he forgives us, did he beat us up first? No. Did he make us grovel first? No. Then why would we treat others that way? Why? I want them to know how much they hurt me. That is not your place. That's the place of Holy Spirit to take care of that. We just forgive without conditions. If we want to act like believers, we forgive without conditions. We don't forgive by punishing someone. Well, I forgive you, but let me tell you how miserable you made me feel. That is not forgiving them. You don't forgive and then beat them up with complaints and punish them. How would you and I want to be treated by others? Then we do the exact same. So sowing forgiveness without conditions, we receive forgiveness when we need it. Because certainly we would want to be treated like that. Why would we treat someone else different? So this is a really important one if we're going to love one another. Because I guarantee you, in life, people will disappoint you. Set your watch by it. It's life. People will disappoint. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your children will disappoint you. It is life. What happens to that disappointment is what matters, what we do with it. Rather, we lovingly forgive and help this person be a better person. Isn't that what Jesus did for me to take on my sin? So why can't I then bear my brother's burden, my sister's burden, and show them the same love? Very important issue. All right, number 10 here. People would not think of this about love. Ah, number 10, pray without ceasing. How about that one? Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Pray without ceasing. I just said that, Paul. Pray without ceasing. Did you ever consider one of the greatest ways that we can show love to others is to pray for them. That's one of the greatest ways, as a believer, I can show people love. Um, I heard someone say one time, uh, it, was, it was a Christian minister, to an opponent, I will pray for you like I would pray for myself. Wow, that said everything to me. I never forgot that. I will pray for you like I would pray for myself. Wow, that said words. Not, oh, Lord, this disgusting louse you have for a child. I lift them up now in prayer. That is not loving them. Rather, I will pray for you like I prayed for myself. If anyone were to eavesdrop on our prayers, if they could, they should only be able to hear words of compassion from us in our prayers uh, that has a heart uh, to love other souls. Right? Uh, so many times, and uh, hey, I've had my share of being complaining about the government and this and that I don't like, but in my prayers, that should not show up. I should be praying positive things for their advancement because they have enough people cursing at them, enough people condemning them. I should have words uh, that elevate and pray for them. And if they need Christ as their Savior, hey, that's part of the prayer also, right? We need to pray for people uh, that they would be trophies for Jesus. Because a lot of those in, who have high office, they need to be trophies for Jesus. What was that old saying? Uh, the definition of politics? Uh, ticks are bloodsuckers. Poly are many. There are many bloodsuckers. <laughs> politics. You know, 
we need to pray. We need to pray for those in high office. It tells us that, first of all, in, in, in Thessalonians, but uh, we, we need to pray. And when if someone were to eavesdrop on our prayers, they shouldn't be able to hear our political slant of what we like or don't like, but rather a love for these people's souls who desperately need Christ. Obviously, if they're, they're doing things or professing things that I find repugnant as a believer, all the more reason they need prayer because they don't have a renewed mind. They don't have a mind in God's Word. I like to pray, Lord, talk to them on their beds. Speak to them in the night vision that they would know you as their Savior. Amen. Amen. Didn't Jesus say on the cross, right? In Luke 23, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. How can we be any different? Right? Jesus tells us in Luke that we are to pray for those that would spitefully use us. Wow! That's a heavy one. That we would pray for those that would spitefully use us. This is how we had to be known, folks, as a hallmark, that we, we pray for those who persecute us. We pray for those who hurt us. We pray for those who disappoint us. And in, that, and in those prayers, we have a mouth of forgiveness constantly. Praying in them the qualities they need that we're not seeing. These are true believers who know how to love others. Because for most people, to be honest, why would I waste my time? You have to. Because if you don't pray for them, who will? You have to. If you noticed it, you have an obligation to pray. So we, basically, as we come this to a close here, this is really diff, isn't, isn't hard. Very briefly tonight, we're looking at these. Um, ten ways that we could love other people. And it's not in ways sometimes we would think, well, I'll bring them groceries. I'll take them to the food store. That's nice. Do that by all means. But will you pray for them, though? That takes a little bit more effort than just giving them a bag of groceries. Actually, the groceries are the easy part. Loving someone enough to lovingly correct them when they're in error, to uh, pray for them, that takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. And as I said when I began here, I have probably failed in all of these, and I am not proud of that. But all the more reason, I'm still under construction. I hope you are too. So I want to do better. So I want to encourage our church family here to join with me in loving others as I would love Jesus. That Jesus would not be ashamed of me for someone who doesn't love. Amen? Amen? Let's pray here. Father God, we ask, Lord God, today uh, that in the days ahead, Lord God, we would be conscious that we need to be lovers of men's souls, that we need to be ones that um, are concerned about our brothers and sisters' betterment. When we see things, Lord, that others need improvement in, if we've noticed it, we can do something about it as simple as prayer. That, Father God, we would care and thus know, Lord God, that we are those that are true lovers of, of souls. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name, as Holy Spirit would bring this back to our remembrance in the days ahead, that we would be people who love. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.